Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great whore who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, with the wine of whose fornication the inhabitants of the earth have become drunk. So he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication, and on her head was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of horrors and of earth's abominations. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is half of our, our sermon text for this coming Sunday, as most of you know. We've been going through Revelation. And I had, had my choice <laughs> between preaching on the beast last week or on the harlot. And I, I, I chose the harlot or the whore here. I don't like that word. But... but. Yeah, but it's this picture after uh, all this this pouring out of the bowls upon the earth, this judgment upon the earth, with everything from water turning to blood to scorching heat, almost a a, a, a picture of, of a, a redo of the plagues in Egypt, and then we have this this woman shows up. Angel takes John and says, I, I will show you the judgment of the great whore who is seated on many waters, where we learn later that the many waters are many tribes and tongues and nations and peoples, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. This, this idea that, that the kings had their people, they had their wives, they had their, their responsibilities as king, and yet they've turned to this other woman. They've turned to this idol to receive from this idol the things that they desire. And what we learn is that, if we truly understand this properly, is that this is Rome. This, this whore of Babylon, this one seated upon a scarlet beast, with the, the scarlet beast having uh, seven heads, the seven heads symbolizing the seven mountains of Rome and the the beast possibly being that beast from revelation 13 that we had the first one this this antichrist uh, beast this this antichrist power anti-church power and then we see of this woman that she's clothed beautifully with scarlet and purple and she's wearing what she has a uh, she's, she's wearing gold and jewels and pearls, and she has in her hand a golden cup. This wealthy person, beautiful, probably very attractive. Uh, someone who, who would have been irresistible. The, the, the perfect image of what it would be uh, for anything that we would desire. And yet, what do we find out here in this reading? The angel opens up with saying, come, I'm going to show you the judgment, the decision that has been made about this woman, about the great whore, it says. That, that word whore is a, is a difficult word. For me, it's like a swear word. 
and yet it's used multiple times in this reading to not only talk about her, but to talk about the kings of the earth, the peoples of the earth, the ones who dwell upon the earth going after her. Rome was the superpower. Rome was in charge. Rome had all the money, all the control in the majority of the known world at that time. And kings from all over the world would bow at the feet of Caesar, would bow at the feet of, of the Roman Senate and, and everyone else, whether they were actually in power or not, would bow to them because they had all the power. They had conquered so much. It was the Pax Romana. They had fabricated peace. I read this, and what I see here is just a continuation of a faux Christ, a faux Jesus, a fake one, just another idol. Think about all the times that we look to our government, we look to our corporations, we look to our jobs, we look to our marriages, we look to our parents, we look to our kids, we look to our schools, our education, our resumes, uh, or even our churches. And we manufacture a Jesus out of those. Our Jesus ends up looking a lot like us, number one, and a lot like the things that we like to have in power, number two. And so then we craft this Jesus as, as something that, that, that we see as delivering to us the things that we want, the desires that we have. That's that, that's that picture of fornication, that, that uh, going to someone, entering into relationship with them, not for the relationship, not for sharing in any sort of uh, communal things, but to take, to, to get out of them what you want, to see that individual as just a conveyance of pleasure or of power, prestige, money, whatever the case may be. That'd be the way that I would define fornication. This, this uh, going to an individual and turning them just into uh, a thing that we, that we control, that we use for our own desires. And it's the same thing here. All these kings were coming to this great whore and fornicating with her in the sense of getting everything out of her that they could get, not, give, not caring about her, caring only about themselves, knowing that they needed to come to her. And they were willing to overlook all the other things that she did, all the other abominations, all the another other iniquities, all the other sins in order to get what they wanted. How often it is that we do that, church. How often it is that we sell ourselves out for a particular political agenda, for instance. And we can have a political party or a political candidate who says certain things or does certain things that are not good. And yet we will uh, do everything we can to justify them for the sake of our own ego, for the sake of our own abilities, for the sake of our own desires. How often is that? Or I think of the church. How often it is that many times as the church, we need to hear some harsh things 
so we might be put to death and raised to new life in Christ because we've spent too much time crafting other Jesuses than the one that we're given in the scriptures, the one who comes to forgive sin, the one who doesn't come in power but in weakness. Although the second half of our of our sermon text comes from Revelation 19, where he shows up on a horse and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, where he comes with a word, and that is his power, is that word, and that word comes as promise, where he speaks to us to give us life. But there we have God giving of himself to us, whereas here this picture as we take whatever we can get, however we can get it. And I wonder, church, how much we need to realize that this isn't just about the politics of the first century. This is about our own life, period, and how we need to have God come, descend upon our hearts, and transform us so that we're not living out a life in which we attach ourselves to faux Jesuses. But instead, allowing ourselves maybe to lose some things, to lose some things every now and then, that God might do a new thing in us. Let us pray. Keep, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy church with thy perpetual mercy. Because the frailty of man without thee cannot but fall, keep us ever by thy help from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Yes, we do ask of the Lord to take away from us all foe Jesuses, that we might be handed the things that are profitable for our salvation. With that, go in peace. Serve the Lord. We'll see you tomorrow with our gospel text.